that seeds that my dad has really shaped my life in so many positive ways. Not just my dad, of course, my mom did too. I am without a doubt in many ways, not in every way, but in many ways I am a product of my parents. I'm a product of the way they lived their lives, the choices they made, the values that they lived and taught. Some of what my parents taught me was spoken in words at some point, but I'd have to say that much of what I learned from my dad was caught and not necessarily taught, at least verbally. It was reinforced by words sometimes, but it was mostly the example of what my dad did, the choices that he made, the way he lived his life that played such a significant role in shaping me into the person I am today. I learned a lot of lessons from my dad, but this morning I want to highlight just a small sample of those lessons, which I believe are not just life lessons, but they're spiritual lessons. And that means they don't just apply to the fathers here today, but they apply to all of us. Because ultimately, whether or not we had or have good fathers to learn from, to emulate, we all have a heavenly father whose life lessons can be clear to us. Think about this. Those life lessons were modeled too. Much like many of the things I learned from witnessing and watching my dad through the years. Our heavenly father's life lessons were modeled in his son, the Word made flesh, Jesus, who lived among us and showed us what our Heavenly Father is like. And this record we have, the Word of God, recounts those life lessons for all of us. The first lesson I want to highlight this morning as a lesson from my father is this. My dad taught me the importance of family. Now that's ironic if you know my dad's family history. My dad was an only child. And for most of his life, he had only a few living relatives. His parents separated when he was younger. And his father, my grandfather, also named William, died when my dad was only 17. He was raised by a single mother, my grandma Mary, when that was significantly less common than it is today. He lived with his mother. He lived with other relatives part-time some of his growing up years. But for much of his life, it was just him and his mother. He left home to pursue a singing career. That's his publicity photo right there. And I don't think he ever did the Hawaiian nose hum. But he was always loyal to his mother. He always did all that he could to support her, not just financially, but emotionally throughout his life, even when his work and his own family meant he lived on the other side of the country. When my grandmother was in failing health in her later years, he and my mother took her in for the last three years of her life. She lived with my parents. This was a huge sacrifice, not so much because of the financial aspect of it, but because my grandmother was an alcoholic, and sometimes she could be very difficult to live with. Family was always incredibly important to my dad. And I think as he got older, he placed an even higher importance on togetherness as well as care for one another. This is a very biblical theme. I can't say I ever remember my dad citing scripture as the reason for the choices he made. But in valuing family, dad was fulfilling the word of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
My dad always honored his mother. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, it says, Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty sobering here, isn't it? The idea is that even many unbelievers, even those who claim no allegiance to the things of God, seem to instinctively know that you care for your family. In Psalm 68, verse 6, it tells us that God sets the solitary in families. Perhaps it's because my dad was an only child and just his memory of of that time of his life, but my dad understood and taught me the importance of family. The second lesson from dad I want to mention this morning is compassion for the poor and the needy. My family was never what you would call wealthy, but we were always pretty comfortable. I can never really remember lacking anything of great importance when I was growing up. My dad always made a decent living, but I also realized that being raised by a single mother like he was, and being a boy in the years of the Great Depression, that's when he grew up. My dad had to understand something firsthand about being needy. One of the most vivid lessons I can recall about my dad and his compassion for the poor and needy happened when I was maybe 12 years old. My dad played guitar and sang for the Catholic Mass when I was growing up, and he played and sang for a Saturday night Mass one winter night. And a man approached him after the Mass and said to him, I don't have a place to stay tonight, and I wanted to see if you people really believe what you're singing. My dad got this man a hotel room for the night because he felt the need to put his money where his mouth is. Now, I've had some experience with dealing with needy people, and with that experience, I have to say that this may or may not have been the best way to really help this man. But that's not my point in telling you this story. The point is that my dad's heart was right. He had the right idea. He understood something of God's care for the poor and needy. He knew that when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, when you give to the poor, the word when implied that this should be a part of the life of his followers. My dad knew that Jesus spoke of the reality that when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, and when we visit the sick, we're doing all these things for the least of these, and we're doing it for Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of these, the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. My dad continued throughout his life to serve the needy in various ways. I saw this. I witnessed this. The third lesson I want to mention today is perseverance. 
There was definitely a time in my young life when you could have legitimately called me a quitter. When things got too hard, often my initial response would be to give up. The best example I can think of when I first began to learn this lesson from my dad was when I was in Little League. I was playing Little League baseball. I was 11 years old, and I played for a team that year that went 0-12 for the season. We had some close games, but we lost every single game that year. I was usually the catcher on this team, but about every third game I would pitch. I had a pretty strong arm. I was one of the biggest kids on the team, pretty big for my age. So at Little League distance, if you've ever been to a Little League ball game, the mound and the plate are not that far apart. And I really intimidated a lot of the players because I threw the ball so hard. But I intimidated them also because I wasn't always that accurate. <laughs> the joke became that I would bean my best friends. For the uninitiated, that means I would hit them with my hard-thrown pitches. And I often did that with some of the guys who were my best friends on the other team. Our last game of the season, we were, as was our usual standard, getting hammered. I didn't start as pitcher, but I came to pitch a little bit later in the game when we were already way behind. My control wasn't necessarily the best that day, and I don't really remember if I hit anyone, but I definitely wasn't throwing a lot of strikes. Now, near the end of the game, I got so frustrated when I couldn't get the ball over the plate, and when it seemed that I was getting the ball over the plate, I thought I was throwing strikes. The umpire, perhaps out of sheer surprise and disbelief, was still calling balls. I began to get angry and frustrated. And at one point, I was near tears. Remember, I was just 11. And so I started to storm off the mound. I was quitting. Now, the game wasn't over, but I was quitting. But I have this very vivid memory of my dad in the stands screaming at the top of his lungs, you get back out there! <laughs> Whoa, I did. And I finished the game. And we still lost, but I didn't quit. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, Pursue, among other things, perseverance. My dad knew that I had to be a finisher and not be a quitter, or I would struggle with a lot of things in my life. Now that leads me to the next lesson from my dad. And at first blush, this might not seem like a spiritual lesson, but stick with me. I can cite all kinds of other things that I couldn't really come up with a spiritual application for. But my dad instilled in me a love of sports. He instilled in me a love of sports. And I really believe that a lot of life lessons can be learned through sports. One of those we just mentioned, perseverance. But as I was thinking about this, I thought, why is the love of sports an important legacy, a lesson from my dad? One of the things I thought of is that the love of sports is often an illustration for a passion for life in general. In the scheme of things, sports can be just for health, it can be just for physical fitness, just something you enjoy. It can be simply a diversion 
It can be entertainment. Those things are all okay. But my dad's passion for sports in many ways represented his passion for life. When we enjoyed sports together, my dad and I, either playing together or watching together, there was a knitting together in those moments that somehow didn't seem possible in other ways. On the one hand, you might tend to think, well, that's a guy thing, but I don't believe that's necessarily true. Even though guys do bond over sports, my sister also shares my dad's love of sports and passion for life, too. So it can't be just for guys. Now, I don't want to make more of this than is appropriate because for me, sports today is mostly just fun. It's an entertaining diversion from the stresses of life. But I also think that's okay. And I also remember how many times the Apostle Paul used athletic imagery to make an important spiritual point. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So if we look for it, we can really learn spiritual lessons from sports, and that's why I think my dad's love of sports was a life lesson for me. Another lesson from my dad was his work ethic. Now, my dad was and is a devout Catholic, but he illustrates what used to be called the Protestant work ethic as well as any dyed-in-the-wool Puritan or Calvinist that you could find. My dad always worked hard. I think if he ever hears this sermon, he'll laugh when he hears that I said I learned this from him because I was a lazy kid. He had a hard time getting me to do chores around the house, and it was like pulling teeth to get me to mow the lawn. But my dad did model the value of hard work to me. And even though it took me probably 30 years to really get it, I think anyone would be hard-pressed to look at my life and call me a slacker today. Let's not hear anybody out there. Thank you for no amens there. A good work ethic is undoubtedly biblical. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. And then in Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Finally, Proverbs 14.23, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Another lesson that I learned from my dad was racial equality. I was raised a northerner. Yes, I'm a Yankee. All my growing up years were spent in the Northeast. Some people may think that racism is only an issue in the South, but let me tell you, that's just not true. The first person I ever heard use the N-word was my grandfather, who lived his whole life 
in Cincinnati, Ohio. As long as I can remember, racism was absolutely inexcusable in our house. My parents told me a story about how they at one time had a strained relationship with my mom's sister's husband, my Uncle Don. This was because he made derogatory racial remarks about Roberto Clemente. He was a favorite in our house because he was a star baseball player for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I was born in Pittsburgh. I lived there for the first seven years, so we had some allegiance to Pittsburgh sports teams. Roberto Clemente was a black Puerto Rican player, and my uncle made his race an issue. And my parents took very strong exception to his remarks, not because we were pirate fans, but because of the racial component to his attitude. This was the atmosphere which shaped my view of race growing up. And before I ever had a biblical basis for my thinking, I absolutely deplored racism. Now I do have a biblical basis. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. Now the one man refers to Adam, in whom all people find their ancestral unity. It's an idea that would appeal to the stoic strong sense of human brotherhood. Paul, in this passage, affirms the historicity of Adam and the descent of the entire human race from him. And this also rules out any kind of racism since the various, various ethnic groups come from one man. When I first committed my life to Christ at about 16 years of age, I was appalled to find out that there were Christians who harbored racist attitudes because I'd learned this value from my parents and then later confirmed it to be right and true in Scripture. Another lesson from my father. Be a gentleman. I'm the oldest of three children, and I have a younger brother and a younger sister. From my earliest memories, I recall examples of how men are to treat women. I was taught to open the door or hold the door for women. I was taught to defer whenever that was appropriate, to treat women with respect and with deference. In our house, a cardinal rule for myself and for my brother was never hit your sister. Boys just don't hit girls, just like men just don't hit women. But my little sister was about two and a half years younger than me, and she really knew how to push my buttons. And she also knew that this was a rule in the house. So I don't know if she'd own up to it, but you almost took, think she might think she took advantage of it. Now one time, and I say this with no hint of excuse or blame, my sister made me so mad that I wanted to hit her. And I don't even remember what it was about. I was probably about 13 or 14 years old. But because I couldn't hit her, I pounded my fist on the dashboard of our car so hard that I left a big crack in it. But I hit the dashboard instead of my sister because I was raised to be a gentleman. That may illustrate my Irish temper a little bit more than this particular life lesson. But that's what happened. And I, again, I hit her. I, hit the, I did not hit her. I hit the car. 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, Peter here is probably thinking of the general truth that men are physically stronger than women and may be tempted to threaten their wives through physical 
or verbal abuse. Women and men share an equal destiny as heirs of the grace of life. Peter does not think women are inferior to men, for both are equally made in God's image. Another thing I learned from my dad is the importance of a sense of humor. There really was a lot of laughter around our house. We even had a family dog who was named after a joke that my dad told us. I won't go into it. It's kind of a long story joke. And yes, I believe that having a sense of humor is really a biblical thing. Proverbs 17:22: a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. <clears throat> humor can be an antidote for pride. It can allow us to look at ourselves and laugh at ourselves and our foolish behavior. A man named Reinhold Niebuhr wrote this, the sense of humor is thus a byproduct of self-transcendence. This means that the ability to laugh at oneself is the prelude to the sense of contrition. That's an interesting way to think of a sense of humor, especially a humor about yourself. Humor helps us cope with the difficulties of life. It helps us keep things in perspective. More than that, we're created in the image of God. And humor is a unique aspect of our human nature that I believe helps us more completely understand God. Think about this. Look at some of the animals God's created and tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Think about this. In all of God's creation, what other creatures exhibit a sense of humor except us, God's unique creation of human beings? Psalm chapter 126, verses 2 and 3, Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And this brings me to my final lesson from my father. And really, if you think about it, this last lesson is the foundation for every other lesson that I've shared this morning. My dad taught me the importance of the things of God. Most of you know I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic church, Catholic schools till I was 17. I was an altar boy. For a while, I had serious aspirations of being a priest until I discovered girls and priests can't be married. Our home was permeated with religion in the very best and biblical sense of that word. We seldom miss church. That's a really important lesson from my dad. Being in church was a very high priority in our lives. And we weren't just there, we were involved. My dad served the church with his singing gifts for many years. As I mentioned, I was an altar boy. Even today, my dad serves as a reader in the Catholic parish that they attend in Arizona. My dad reads his Bible every day. He prays every day. These are the things that I grew up with. I witnessed my dad doing these things. It was a valuable example to me. It was the foundation for the faith and for the kingdom service that I have today. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Here we see Solomon writing about his father, David. 
When he was a boy, his father taught him. His father taught him the importance of the things of God. When he said, lay hold of my words, he was pointing Solomon to the wisdom of God. We won't take the time to read on in this proverb. If you want to read further, you can do that on your own. But the idea here is this. In this appeal, the father cites the appeal that his own father made to him. The effect is threefold. First, the father shows he can identify with his sons. He too was once young and under the tutelage of a father. Second, the father implies that wisdom did not begin with him, but goes back through many generations. It's not a novelty, but it's enduring. Third, he suggests that godliness and prudence are part of their family heritage, and he wants his sons to maintain the legacy. One of the greatest responsibilities of a parent is to encourage their children to become wise and to point them to the source of all wisdom. Oh, the source of all wisdom is not the Internet. That may be the source of a lot of information and knowledge, but knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. True wisdom is found in the things of God. True wisdom is found in the Word of God. In verse 7, Solomon tells us that his father said this, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. This is the greatest legacy of my earthly father, to point me ultimately to my heavenly father as my source of wisdom. Not just knowledge, but wisdom. The real essence of wisdom is spiritual. For life is more than just living by a set of rules and being rewarded in some physical manner. Undoubtedly, in this sense, wisdom comes from God. Thus, though it will involve observation and instruction, it really begins with God and one's faith in him as Lord and Savior. On this Father's Day, regardless of whether or not you can remember your own father's lessons in a similar way as I have this morning. Let's remember the ultimate source of these lessons, our Heavenly Father, the source of wisdom, the lessons of life that we all have access to because we all have access to the Word of God which reveals our Heavenly Father. Amen? Dear Lord, we thank you for our fathers on this Father's Day and even realizing that many of us had challenging or difficult relationships with our fathers. We thank you, Father, that they brought us into the world. But ultimately, Lord, we thank you that we can call you our Heavenly Father. We're grateful, Lord. We're grateful for the wonderful examples that we witnessed in the life of your Son, Jesus, that reveal to us who you are, that reveal to us what you care about. Father, as we honor our fathers today, on Father's Day, we honor ultimately you, the source of all life, our Heavenly Father, and we're grateful that we can call you Father this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.